0: Hey, girl. (laughs) We are truly blessed this morning to have, uh, well, he goes by a million different names. Uh, I didn't realize that until I'd spent some time with him at home in Botswana. Uh, Pastor Jerry, the the most common one over there is PJ, Uh, but he is a... He's got his doctorate, Dr. Jerry Lackey. He's a he's a he's my friend. He's my mentor. He's my pastor, and um, the work that they've done in Botswana, he and he and and his wife, is, is amazing. What are we up to? Twelve thousand students. Yeah, I'm reaching up to twelve thousand students per day, week. per week, per week. They've got teams that go around the schools. This is a, we're a part of it, and the teams that are going. In July, we'll be a part of it as well. But it's just, I mean, there's no part of that nation that they haven't touched. I mean, they've got the goods, and they deliver. And it's amazing, the work that they've done over there. So with that being said, let's stand up and honor God's man. Amen. Amen. Dr. Jerry Lacky.
1: Amen. Amen. While you're, keep standing for a minute, let's just pray. Father, we thank you today. God, we just love you. Thank you for encountering us today in worship. Thank you for your presence in this house today. Lord, we thank you that you just called us from the north, the east, the south, and the west. Lord, that you're an intentional God. And you have an intentional purpose for us even here today. Thank you, Father, for the anointing of God that breaks every yoke, lifts every burden off of your people today. Lord, we love you. We're honored to be in your presence today. We thank you for the man and woman of God that uh, are the father and mother of this house, the staff and leadership. We thank you, Father, for their obedience, for the lives they've touched. Lord, we thank you historically for all that's happened to those here in this church, Lord, in this place. But, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that better things are coming in Jesus' name amen amen god bless you. you may be seated so good to be with you guys today uh i'm kind of masquerading today as a, a gentleman i'm dressed nicely for you today but don't let me fool you i'm just a, a bush guy you know from botswana and uh you know i'm more comfortable in my land Cruiser out on the dirt roads than i am you know uh in america but uh i appreciate uh i said it in my prayer but i appreciate your pastors here your leaders uh, Pastors Paul and Ginger Gray, and of course, uh, I bring gr- greetings from Dr. Janish. We had to split up because we had so much to do in such a short period of time. So she's currently in New York City. Uh, I'm here. I think I got the better end of the deal being here with you guys in Mendon. But, you know, we're, we split up. We're going to meet in Michigan pretty soon. Go to see our daughter, Mapula, uh, who's in university this year. So awesome, awesome. Thank you for your partnership. As uh, was said, uh, what we're doing, we're doing together. And here's the cool thing about God. You know, you you, you read the parable, I'm sure, before about the, the labors in the vineyard. And some of them start early. Some of them come at the end. But they all get the same reward. And you know, in our minds, it's like, that's not fair. That didn't work out. But do you know that even though we've been laboring in Botswana for almost 40 years now, I know you guys are saying, dude, you look like you're 20. You couldn't be. 40 years. (laughs) But honestly, everything that we've ever done because you're our partners, you will share, in those heavenly rewards in it. It'll be the same. It's just God's the way that he works things. And I love that. And so thank you again for your partnership, every uh, prayer, every dollar that's been invested in our lives there. Appreciate Amy who came and spent time with us and, and the girls and, and you guys. And there's more to come because more of you guys are going to come over. It's going to be great. But I need to preach this morning, so let me just appreciate all of you with that. And um, I, I want to I touch base with something that I believe is, is relevant. Thank God that your pastors have encountered your life with the gospel message. And I know that this is not a religious church. This is a relational church. I'd like to say that our churches in Botswana are uh, relational churches in a revival atmosphere. That's a good place to be at, you know. But I read a story, in a, it's actually an article in a, a, a newspaper. It was called the Flagstaff Live, and it's a British publication, a British newspaper. The headline read like this. It said, Sohan Singh bans customers from his grocery store in England. I was interested. I thought, who would ban people from coming in to their business? You know, so I read it. goes on to tell us that he was uh, in the London newspaper that he was forced to take such drastic action because of people's bad manners. First, he banned smoking. Anybody that smoked couldn't come in his grocery store and buy groceries. Second of all, then he banned anybody that had bad language in his store. Thirdly, he began to ban baby strollers, Good, in like the way that they operated in the store, and then pets, then chewing gum. And eventually, he banned the customers themselves. So you guys can't come in anymore. And so... The shoppers now, this is a true story. This is a true story. Shoppers must now look through the window to spot the items that they want, and then they ring a bell, and through the hatch in a small hole, he takes their money and hands them out the goods they want. It's a true story. And the shopkeeper said this. He said in the, in the article, he said, I've lost business. I don't have any idea how much, but I know I've lost some. And he said this, he said, I'm a man of principles and I stand by my decision. Now, to most of us, that doesn't make much sense. And you know, it seems to me that the storekeeper who would ban customers from his store had obviously lost sight of his purpose uh, operating a store. And, and, you know, that your, your aim is to sell groceries. And then if you're going to sell groceries, you got to put up with people that come into your store regardless, you know, if you like what they do or you don't like what they do. And just like that grocer, that guy who ran the store, you know, many churches today have forgotten their Savior's purpose. They've forgotten why we have church today. And the point is that Jesus came to seek and save those that were lost. That was his mission on planet Earth. And sometimes I think we take Jesus and through the years he's been cloaked by religiosity and 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 Jesus doesn't look much like what he is and so people miss it. They're searchers, they're looking, but they miss it because... The gospel gets clothed in all this religious stuff. I thank God this is not a religious church. This is a relational church. It's a church like ours in Botswana. And so... You know, we don't always like the sinful habits of people who come into our churches. But the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I want us to look today for our text this morning at Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read this. You can follow along if you want. It's a, it's a great gospel story. And let me say, when you read these gospel stories, I've had to train myself to do this. When you read these gospel stories and you hear these accounts of people who encountered Jesus, you've got to activate your mind and go live with the stories. You've got to kind of let your imagination work with you and see how those things unfolded and, and allow yourself to uh, you, uh, the humanity of the characters to come through because, you know, they're people just like us. We tend to try to make them into something bigger than life, but they're just like us. They dealt with life the same way we did. They had the same, you know, uh, challenges that we had. And so I want to encourage you, when you're reading the Gospels, I'm, I'm doing this even more and more, don't reduce them to the text of religious writings because they're fascinating stories that tell us, you know, multifaceted stories and reveal truths. And so these accounts in the Gospels, we've got to reread them afresh. And that's a good thing to do in this New Year's. Just begin to start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read them afresh and take time. Look at the stories. Just kind of put yourself there, what it would be like if you were in that picture. How would you see it? And there's a thought that I had. It's a pretty powerful thought, and I'm still working into this thing. But think about this. The gospel still contains the same power that was infused into it 2,000 years ago. It hasn't weakened. hasn't been watered down. It's the same. The power of God is in the gospel. I had the opportunity to be with your pastor, Paul, a couple times uh, in East Africa with, uh, with Dr. Egan Falk. And I like, I like crusades. We do crusades, uh, not to the magnitude of, of, of what... Uh, Egan is doing, Dr. Egan is doing, but you know, um, there's something about preaching the gospel. We tend to look at men and women, and if they've got a gift on their life and they're anointed, we tend to think that that gift is what's producing the power and the change in people's lives, and so we, we do the worst thing we can do. We start making these people into rock stars. I mean, we're like, we look at them, and we elevate them and pretty soon, you know, nobody can stand up under that pressure. They end up falling and disappointing, hurting people. But the truth is, and I've watched it, I've been on the platform with Dr. T.O. Osborne in India. I, I've been on, uh, in, in areas where I've seen the, the multitudes of people. And even though God anoints men and women, that's true, that's good. He used those gifts for other people. The gifts are not for us, they're for others. But when, the, when you preach the gospel, the power of God is in the gospel. When you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, things will happen. Signs, miracles, and wonders, transformations happen. Not because a man is anointed, because the gospel is powerful. It's anointed, and it shakes nations when it's preached. Not nonsense, but the gospel itself has not lost the power, the same power that it had 2,000 years ago in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's still alive and well and transforming people and nations and lives and babies all over the world where it's preached. And you guys can do it. And it's missions week. And I'm here. And I'm believing that you're going to do it. You guys are going to do some more mission trips. Maybe you'll come to Botswana. Maybe you'll come to East Africa. Maybe you'll go to Bulgaria. Maybe you'll go to, to Mexico or to, to uh, go down to New Orleans. You can go anywhere in Minden. And if you'll proclaim the gospel of work. Okay. We got to read the scripture. Beginning with uh, verse 1. Then Jesus entered to the, the, and passed through Jericho. No, just kind of. Take yourself there. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature, he was kind of a short guy. And so verse 4, so he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place and he looked up and he saw him. Somebody today might think that you're just a face in a crowd. But I want you to know that God sees you. You're you're not just another person. You're a personal person. God sees you. He watches you. He's for you. He's not against you. He's not mad at you. He's for you. And, and, and so when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, he saw him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today, I must stay at your house. So he made haste and he came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, the religious folks, when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he's gone to be a guest with a man who was a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and he said to the the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. And the 10th verse for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, when we look at this amazing story about a little man who meets a big God, and we, we see that this seeker of mankind, Jesus, in verse 2 it tells us that this man was by it was named Zacchaeus, and he was a wealthy man, rich man, chief tax collector. He became rich from working from, uh, for the Roman government. There's a little bit of the background on it. As a chief tax collector, he could set his own cut. In other words, he could kind of bump it up. If he was collecting 5% for the Romans, he could go ahead and you know, put a service charge on it, and he could charge 10%. And so he was not a man who was liked. He was not a popular guy. He was in a category, in fact, that would be much like uh, a thief, a murderer, a rapist, maybe could be considered the scum of the earth, you know. And he was really just a sought-off extortionist. He took money from people who worked hard and enriched himself, and uh, he, he was not a well-liked man. He made his living off the sweat of other people, and he took unfair advantage of people. And if you humanize Zacchaeus, you know, and, and the, the characters and these stories as real people, you know, you can kind of get an idea of what it was like. The average tax paying citizen would have said, if I could get my hands around that, that little Zacchaeus, you know, I'll beat the hang hang out of this guy. You know, they they didn't like him. And and I'm sure that in his daily walk, he had to constantly be looking across over the back of his shoulder to see if anybody's going to follow him and take him out. So he was rich. Okay, everybody say he's rich. He was rich. You know, he rode the latest donkey of that time. Probably was the, the best model of that time. Maybe he had a customized with a monogram saddle on it, you know, a few bling stones that spelled out LAS on the side of it, you know. Maybe he had designer Gucci sandals on. He possessed many things. Listen to me. He possessed many things. He was rich in worth through the worldly standards, but he was poor in spirit. And you can gain the whole world and lose your soul because if you understand that godliness with contentment is great gain. God doesn't care if we have goods and finances. In fact, we, my idea of prosperity is that we have enough to take care of our families and our grandkids and our kids and have a decent car and decent house, but plenty left over to evangelize the world because the power of wealth is in what we can do to change lives. Are you listening to me? It's noteworthy to see the chronological order of this, this scripture in Luke because he tells the story of Zacchaeus' conversion right after the young ruler who walked away from his salvation because of clinging on to his riches. Remember that guy? And Jesus said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier that for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, he said, it's impossible. But I want you to uh, understand that we learn to set our affections on the things above and not on the things on this earth. But before you despair, I want you to know that Jesus went on to say something. He says, what's impossible with men is possible with God. So we can do it. We can do it. Zacchaeus' story tells us that the salvation of a rich man by God's grace and power, and that power is still the same today. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change because he doesn't change. We can change. And so the crowds were large, and Zacchaeus was small. I love this story. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd. You know, the crowd can block your view. The crowd can block your view because religion is a crowd. He has what I call SMS. It's small man syndrome. And I'm sure that he never felt like he measured up to everybody else. And so, you know, like, who is Jesus? Verse 4 says, so he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree or a wild fig tree. And in, in Botswana, we call them machaba trees. We have them there. And he climbed up in that tree to see who he was as he was passing by. The Bible tells us this. He says that as Jesus was passing by, uh, in verse 5, it says, And when Jesus came to the place, that tree, before the... I, here's the thing that I, I, I hope I can, uh, can help you see today, because this is so God. One day I was reading this, and I just saw this. Do you know... That it wasn't by chance or accident that that sycamore tree was planted right there in that spot. I believe that God saw from the foundations of the world. He saw Zacchaeus. He saw that one day Zacchaeus would need a tree that he could climb on because God seeks to save the lost. And you got to know something about a a, a sycamore tree. If you don't know this in Botswana, we have a a good representation of them. They're large trees, but they have very low slung limbs that make it real easy to climb up in Can you see the heart of God? Long before Zacchaeus was ever born, God knew, you know, that one day, because he sees things from the end to the beginning, we only see things from the front way up, but God can see things from the end to the beginning. That should give you hope, because maybe you don't know what's happening today, where you're going. Everything looks cloudy and smoky, but I'm telling you what, God has seen your end. He's for you. He's not against you. He says, come on, it's gonna, you're gonna be all right. You're gonna get through this thing. And so, Zacchaeus found that tree waiting for them and he he climbed up in that tree and Jesus could have easily passed under the tree and never looked up. And the crowd that was thonging him and and, and crowding around him as he was passing through Jericho, verse 19 says, steadfastly moving toward Jerusalem, towards the cross. That's where he was going. But when our Lord came to the place, he took the initiative. He looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus had wanted to see Jesus, but he had no prior clue that Jesus wanted to see him. He looked up and he saw him and Zacchaeus made haste. He came down because he said, I'm going to your house today. Jesus did not come, listen to me, Jesus did not come to visit us. He came to live inside of us. And he was not this guy was not a love man. He, he had tried to fill his life with, with temporal things that could, could only be bought with money, But like all men, there's a void and there's an emptiness in every person's life. I believe this, I walk through this. You know, we put labels on people, we say, "That's a drug addict. We say, "That's a prostitute." we say, "That guy's a thief, that guy." But you know what? They're just titles, and people are really just searchers. Why are they in those things? Because they're searching. There's, there's something inside of every human being that, that longs to be in touch with the creator. The soul of man wants to connect to his creator. So we search through life until we find Jesus. And when we connect people to Jesus and not to religion, to religion, things happen. It becomes a, an encounter with Christ changes people forever. And so he said, I'm coming to your house. And, and you know your house is where you live, right? I mean, that's a house is where you live, whatever that's like. He says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock." And then a verse 6. So he made haste, he came down and he received him. He received him. We all have to receive Christ. I mean, no one had ever showed interest in coming to his house before maybe they came by his house to throw eggs at it. Maybe they came by to write some graffiti on the side of his house because he wasn't very well liked. But I don't think anybody came there to love him or to care about him or to make him feel accepted. And verse 7 says, but when they saw it, they they complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a sinner. And then verse 8 says, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Amen. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen. It's his goodness that chases after me. Even in my, I get off track and it's just God's continual love. Doesn't mean that God turns his head and says that, you know, those things are not right. But his love chases after us and it causes us to repent because he's such a good God. And Not only did uh, salvation come upon him and benefit him, but it began to benefit others because he restored back four times. If he stole $1,000 by collecting taxes, he repaid $4,000. Jesus came to restore our lives so that in return we can restore other people's lives. That's what World Missions is about. That's why this church does what it does. is so that we can take what we have and we can give it away. I want to say this. Every pastor would appreciate this. But when people get critical in the church, it's because they eat and eat and eat and get fed. And then they become critical. I don't like the praise team anymore. I don't want to like the way pastor preaches. I don't like what happens here. But if you go out and you empty yourself of everything that you've been eating. And you empty yourself. You come in and every bitter thing is sweet. Amen. You enjoy it. God designed us to be that way. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because it has no outlet. And so Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he's also a son of Abraham. Jesus makes his purpose, and he gives him marching orders. And then in verse 10, we read, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And he seeks us personally, and particularly, we don't know how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. Maybe someone had told him, maybe he had divine revelation, but out of all the people in that crowd... He zeroed in on Zacchaeus, and that little man had an encounter with God. Amen. So Jesus does not call the masses of humanity to himself. Listen to me. Hoping that someone, somewhere would respond and come to him. He calls individuals. He called Peter. He called James and John while mending their nets. He said, drop your nets and follow me. And he said, I will make you. I'll tell you, when you begin to follow Jesus, it doesn't matter. You know, we always say, yeah, but I got this problem. I got that problem. And all the baggage. You know, Jesus will take you right where you're at. And if you'll follow him, he will make you. He will reshape you. He will reposition you. He'll do everything in his time that needs to happen if you'll just follow him. So in conclusion, he saves the lost because he seeks the lost. He came to do that. If you follow Jesus, then his purpose must be your purpose. If you do not follow Jesus, then Zacchaeus' response should be your response. God's greatest gifts in life are not things, but opportunities. And I think this wonderful church gives us opportunities. And I know that 100% of you are probably never going to be able to take a trip outside of Minden, but I want to encourage you as strong as I can to get out and rub shoulders with somebody from another nation. It'll change your life. You'll never, ever regret the investment you make to go on a mission trip. You say, what will I do? Hey, don't worry about it. There's plenty of stuff to do. In fact, I don't need preachers and what's on. I just need guys that can work. I need guys who can build, can fix things and all kinds of stuff like that because I don't have those skills there. And so when we make all of ourselves available to Jesus, he makes all of himself available to us. And that's my, that's my word for you today. Jesus, who knows us personally, you're not just a face in a crowd. You're not just a mass of people. God knows you purposely, and he has something particular for your life. Would you stand up with me real quick? I'm going to pray over you. <coughs>